We stay together. We survive. We survive. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Communicate. Stick together. Stick together. In the name of unit cohesion. 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 You are listening to the Cohesion Podcast. Actionable tips from internal comms leaders on how to improve your company's employee experience. This episode features an interview with Marla J. Alberti, owner and founder of Truth Speaks Group, a multimedia coaching company that helps women create strategies for work-life integration. She is also the founder and president of IO for Teens, a program that teaches adolescents transferable life and career skills. Marla is a certified life career and executive coach and has authored several books on work-life harmony. In this episode, Amanda and Marla discuss why cultural fit is a myth, how to brag about yourself, and what we're doing wrong about DE&I. Before we dive into the interview, here's a brief word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Simpler, the leading AI-powered employee experience platform. We are on a mission to transform the work experience for billions of people across the world. Organizations use our products to deliver personalized experiences that inspire and engage their employees. When work is good, life is better. Learn more at simpler.com. That's S-I-M-P-P-L-R.com. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between Marla J. Alberti owner and founder of Truth Speaks Group, and your host, Amanda Berry, corporate brand and communications manager at Simpler. Marla, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, man. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. I love your energy. You've got like this energy that I just want to nonstop talk to you. So I'm super excited about this. Yes. Let's just jump straight into it. You've recently released a book called The Brag Book, 100 questions about how awesome you are. First of all, I love that title. It's fantastic. Can you tell us what the book is about? Yes. So it is a journal, the ultimate brag book. So let me give a little bit of context and background, how that journal came to be. So by me being a certified career and life coach, I've coached, I don't know, I've lost count, over 300 plus people in my 10 years of coaching. So my main niche audience is the nine to five working woman, helping her discover work-life harmony and integration, not work-life balance. I don't believe in balance. But through those coaching conversations I've had with these women, one thing that's been consistent and constant is that they don't find the value in themselves. (laughs) They don't you know, brag on themselves. You know, when I talk to them, coaching is about strategic questioning, right? So as I'm asking them these deep questions, they have a hard time trying to figure out the goodness and the greatness on the inside. And one thing as a coach for all those coaches out there in the world, we already know there's gold inside of you because or else we wouldn't take you as a client, right? So, but you have to know there's gold inside of you. So I said, you know what? I want to create fun. I'm a fun person. I like to have fun. So I want to create a fun book that not only allows you to write down things that are awesome about you, but simply brag on yourself. Bragging is such a negative connotation. Now, I'm not speaking about, Amanda, I'm not talking about, oh, you think you're better than somebody else or being conceited. That's separate. That's something else. That's a whole other podcast, right? We're talking about just finding the value in the things that you like. When was the last time you wrote down your 10 favorite restaurants? When was the last time you wrote down 10 things you love about yourself? 
When was the last time you wrote down 10 companies that you could be CEO of? These are fun questions that I have inside my book. You know, and it's just a fun book. It's a hundred questions. I even left some pages in the back so you can think of your, some of your own questions for yourself. But I relaunched it back in January and people just love it. I have mother and daughters doing it. I've had a couple of husband and wives talk to me about, say they wake up every morning and do a question each morning together. So, oh, that's so sweet. You know, so yeah, it's just, that's why I got the book. I, that's why I wrote it. Because I want people to see their own value and realize that, yeah, you matter. You don't have to wait for the world to tell you that. What you want matters. What you desire matters. So put that in context for me. Why is it important to brag about yourself, just even in in the job professional context? Yeah, definitely. I'm glad you asked that because let's take it interviewing for an example. I just talked about this the other day on another podcast. So when you go to interview, right? A lot of folks, this is something I have to coach people in career coaching. A lot of folks are going in, they're nervous. You know, they got to ask the questions. You know, I'm going to answer the questions, blah, 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 blah. So I say, well, what questions are you going to ask them? Well, I don't have questions to ask them. I said, well, yeah, you're interviewing them too. They're not just interviewing you. It's a two-way streak here. So that that lets them know that you're interested. That lets them know that you have confidence and that you have expertise that, hey, it's a pleasure for me to work for you, not for me to accept your job. Right. <laughs> right. So it needs to go both ways. It needs to go both ways. So you need to have that confidence. And if you make a list of things that you like and you're consistently working on these things, I know everyone's not a big fan of affirmations. I am because what you say and speak to yourself matters. Right. We're not asking people to be perfect. No one's perfect. We all make mistakes. We all have issues. That's fine. Even the CEO of the company you're applying for has issues. Everybody has issues. Right. But what we want you to realize is, If you don't see the value in what you're bringing to the table, how can someone else see it? If you're a leader of a team and you can't bring that value forward, how do you expect your team to do that if you're not doing it, right? So so that goes back to being able to make that list. A lot of times in my coaching sessions, that's the first thing I ask people to do is make a list. If you remove all obstacles from life, money, kids, family, spouse, whatever, remove everything, Write down 10 things you would do. And you know how many people struggle with that? People struggle with that question, right? Write down 10 things you would do because they don't take time to sit down and think. And in in the work environment, you have to be able to sit down and be able to think critically and be able to take time. I believe it's Apple or Google. They give their engineers thinking time. Like it's literally a time that they can sit aside and think about projects that they want to work on. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Huh. I've been thinking time. We you'd mentioned when we started this conversation that women are really bad about bragging about themselves. I know that I am. I know that I have a couple previous managers who would agree with that. But why do you think that is a specifically like a, a problem that women have? Yeah, you know, I think the research is still out on that, right? I mean, there's tons and tons of research articles about this as to why women think this way. A few things that I've known I've read through research is number one is Women, obviously, we're the, you know, we are the childbearer, right? So it was kind of built in our culture, in our nature to take care of. We're the caretaker. We take care while the men go out and go do the work, right? It's kind of been like that for years. You know, we're moving forward, right? You know, we, we have a female vice president. We're getting better, right? But that culture, that mindset still carries on. So I think this all started back in the day. That's where it all started from. But as we continue to move forward, with that same mindset, men, let's just take our wonderful men counterparts as an example. Men, it's been studies shown that on a job application, the job description can have 
list of things. A man will apply for that job if there's 20% items that he can complete or tasks he can do. 20%. This is a study. 20%. And then a woman, though, will wait for 80%, if not 100. We got to be perfect before we can apply for that job. We got to be dead perfect. But guess what? The man who applies for that 20%, that only has a 20% of tasks that he can do, he'll get the job because of his, his confidence, because of how he thinks about himself. Women will get the job and then get on there and be like, oh, I can't do it. There's even studies done where we'll get on the job and we'll quit within the first six to 12 months, within the first year. It comes from that mindset. But then also too, I have to add this extra point to it. There's a a philosophy called the superwoman schema. And this is put on African-American women. So not only do African-American women have this same mindset, right? Where we're the caretaker, we're doing this, we do that, we're strong. But now we got to be on top of all, we now we gotta be strong. We gotta be super. We gotta, you know, we got we have to have the degree. You know, African American women are the highest educated group of individuals in the country, but yet we're lowest. We're at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to work and pay, right? Along with our other minorities, our Hispanics and Latinos, right? Latinx. So, with that being said, is it adds extra pressure. So all that extra pressure on top. Why would I want to brag on myself? I got too much going on. I'll have time to think about the good things I do. I'm too busy trying to make sure I get this degree. I make sure I get this certification so they see me at the table. So when I'm at the table, do they hear me? And when they hear me, am I speaking loud enough so they don't overtalk me? <laughs> so it's, it's issues on top of issues on top of issues. And again, it all stems back from just tradition. That's my personal opinion of that. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really great explanation. When thinking about the book, I would, I would highly encourage all of our listeners to read it, but what are some key takeaways you would want people to know before they, they purchase the book or open it up? Yeah. So like I said, it's a journal. So that's the best part about it. It's not a, it's not a lot to read. Literally, you're reading the introduction. Then you're going to start this, obviously, a table of contents. And you're going to go through and answer the questions. What I recommend folks do is, it's not one of those books you just start question one, two, three. I say, what I do, I open the book, just open up randomly to a question <laughs> and start filling out the answers. So I want folks to know that when you get this book, be prepared to have fun. Be prepared to answer questions you never even thought about asking yourself. 10 things you love about your body. When was the last time you wrote that down? <laughs> never. Never. <laughs> Probably never. Yeah. What 10 companies could you run, right? How dare you put Apple on that list? You better put Apple on that list. <laughs> oh, Marla. I'm going to call you every day. You're such an inspirational person and you give great pep talks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so this is what I want folks to realize. When they open this book, I want it to be a book of joy and fulfillment for that person. You know, it, it warmed my heart when I told you when I heard that the, cu- the couples were doing it together. I'm like, oh, they're so cute. <laughs> you know, they're waking up in the morning and doing one question a day. And that's what they're doing, this open up the book and just doing a question. And they sit there and they talk about the question with each other. You know, so I'm like, this is wonderful. This is what I want. Even when mother and daughters are doing it. I'm not saying uh, men can do the book. I've had plenty of men buy the book as well. Right, well, obviously, like I said, my audience is a nine to five working woman, but I've coached multiple people, many people. And so when you buy this book, I'm asking you questions that you may not want to answer. I'm having to dig deep. Everything I do is intertwined into my coaching, right? So those questions are going to be like, oh, I don't, I never thought about it. That's the ding, ding, ding. That's the whole point. Well, when you just said like 10 companies you could run, I was like, I have 
never even thought about that. And yeah. you said Apple, and I was like, I could never because <laughs> I was trying to find an answer. Right, exactly. And it just kind of makes you think like, yeah. I'm not, I know personally, maybe our listeners yeah. have a similar experience. I yeah. start off being like, I couldn't because, as opposed yeah. to, of course I could because. Exactly. Right. Yeah. We remove the can't. We have coaches, right? And I, and I say this phrase almost every interview <laughs> that I have, but it just resonates with me so well. When she told me, she said, whatever you believe, you're 100% correct. So if you can't, if you can't run Apple, then you then you won't run Apple. You can't run Apple. If you can't do something, then you can't. And no one's going to argue with you in your, in your can't. But if you say you can, though, okay, now we're opening up a can of worms. Now we're going to challenge yourself. You know, when you say can't, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, not a problem. No, you can't. Let's move on to somebody else. <laughs> so think about it. <laughs> yeah, I love that mindset so much. I'm going to start, I'm going to put it on a note card somewhere yes. so I can see it. I can, I will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Instead of I, I couldn't because or you know, right. whatever. Exactly. Well, let's move into our segment, Story Time. Welcome to Story Time. Story Time. Story Time. Let me give you a story. You've given a great introduction of yourself. You train, you teach, you educate the nine to five working woman who wants success on their own terms. What inspired you to have that mindset? Oh, gosh. You know, I think it starts back to when I was a little girl. I love telling the story. So when I was a young girl, I just knew I was going to be a teacher. So I would teach my baby dolls. I had twin beds. So I would line the baby dolls up on the twin beds. And I would literally teach them. I would get a roll book. Back then in the day, people, we had roll books in school. I don't, I don't know if they have those anymore. But we had roll books. And so I would get a roll book from one of my teachers. And I would write down their names. <laughs> And I would check them off. They would do recess. They would. Do, I would make worksheets for them. It you was, got like was, Raggedy Ann in there. Oh getting yeah, oh yeah. It was. Oh, they all had names. Like it was a serious <laughs> thing, Amanda. Like it was That's really awesome. serious. They had recess. They would go. I would take them outside and let them play. <laughs> it was serious, right? And so I always knew I wanted to teach, train, and educate. And then, as I got a little older, and I realized, okay, we have to work for money. We got to actually become an adult and make money and pay bills. I said, okay, teachers don't make a lot of money. That's literally what I told my mom. I said, mom, they'll they make a lot of money. So I'm going to be an architect. I told her, I said, I'm going to be the first black female architect. So I've always had this mindset of doing grand things. But in the, also while that was going on, while I want to be a teacher or architect, I also was always running some type of little business. So <laughs> when I was in sixth grade, I started, I don't know if you remember, and I used to have, we used to have friendship bracelets. Yeah, the, the ones you would like make with like thread. Yeah. So back in the day when Kmart was open, I would save up my allowance. My mom would take me to Kmart around the corner and I would buy yarn <laughs> and I would sell them for a dollar. And I made, I don't know, probably like 10, 11 dollars a week selling these things. You know, that's a lot of money to a sixth grader. And so I would take that money and I would, again, put and reinvest it back into my business. Now, back then, I didn't realize that was a business. I didn't realize that I was reinvesting. I didn't use the word reinvest back then. I'm like, I'm just going to put it back in there and buy more yarn, mom. <laughs> Something else me and my, my girlfriends used to do, we used to color pictures. I think this was when I was in fourth and fifth grade. This is when it was safe to be on the sidewalks as kids. I would, we would color pictures and I would sell the pictures for 10 cents so I can go buy candy. So I've always had this drive inside of me that I can do whatever I wanted to do. Honestly, I mean, I don't know where that came from. 
I was just going to ask that, Marla, like to hear you say, I'm going to be the first black woman architect, like <laughs> with such confidence. I, I was just going to ask you, like, where does that confidence come from? Because it sounds like you were really young when you were, you know, coming up and creating these bracelets. And yeah, yeah. The bracelets were sixth grade. The pictures we were coloring, I was in fourth and fifth grade for that. Yeah, we would literally go knock on people's doors and go sell these pictures. Now, they were just pictures out of a regular Dollar Tree coloring book. Nothing special. <laughs> but we just felt we had to sell them because we felt they were the best piece of artwork on the planet, you know? And I think, I, I don't know if I had to guess where that drive maybe came from. My mom and dad, they worked, right? They worked just like any other parents, right? They worked every day. And my mom was strict on me. <laughs> she was really strict. She's like, do X, Y, Z, do this. And then I also had to have an allowance. So I had to work to get that allowance. So I understood the concept of work pretty early on. And my mom was one of those, my parents were both were like, look, you're going to, at age 16, sister girl, you're going to get a job. You know, whether you go to college, whether you, whatever you decide to do, you're going to get a job because guess what? And nothing against parents who don't have their kids get jobs. Nothing against that. But guess what? In the real world, you got to work. <laughs> so I always had that concept of working and making my own and having my own. So that kind of followed me on top of me being a Leo. So, you know, that's another thing too, right? So, you know, lions, you know, we're a little, you know, we're a little different, you know? So, so I think that just kind of followed me. And then, so to the architect piece, I took drafting in school. And so one of my drafting teacher came up to me and said, Marla, you're really good at this. Have you thought about being an architect? I said, no. But then he put the idea in my mind. So like once the idea comes in my mind, I'm like Albert Einstein, once I can imagine it, I can have it in my mind, <laughs> you know? And that's the type of person I am. I am not the type of person that is jealous because or envious because you have it. If anything, if you go on a night, that pretty pink shirt you got on there, man, I'm going to ask you, where'd you get it from? Because I like it. I like, I'm not mad because you have it on, right? Because anything that someone else is doing, I can do too. That's the way I think. Now, do I want to do it? Do I want to go be LeBron James? No, I don't. But could I if I wanted to? Of course I could. But I don't want to do that. I don't, I'm not, I'm a basketball fan, but I don't want to play basketball. You know, I'm just not good at that. You know, but again, so I think, again, it goes back to your thinking, everything, and no one's perfect at this. Don't get, me, don't get me wrong, Amanda. No one's perfect at this. But I think everything goes back to mindset. That's why I'm really big on mindset. I don't know if you've read the book by Carol, Dr. Carol Dweck talking about mindset, your fixed mindset or your growth mindset. And fixed is what we were talking about earlier. Can't, won't, will not. Growth is, well, maybe I can. Well, let me try. Let me, maybe I can do it. And that's what I challenge my clients to do when we're co when I'm coaching them. I challenge them. I ask that challenging question. You want to go exercise, right? You can't do 30 minutes. Okay. Can you do 10? Yeah, it's more than zero. Can you do 10? <laughs> can you, the question is, can you do 10? <laughs> right? And well, yes, I can. Okay. When can you do it? Yeah. You know, so it's a matter of, again, thinking, thinking, what can you focus on? What can you do instead of focusing on what you can't do? So I've always had that mindset. And like I said, I don't know where it came from, but it's kind of always been there. I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit. I think, like I said, maybe it's watching my parents, how hard they worked. And I never wanted for anything. You know, I never wanted for anything growing up. And as a child, you know, I think I would hope maybe all children want to be able to take care of their parents and pay that forward. So I could, my dad can say he's spoiled. He is a little spoiled, you know, so, <laughs> but it's a joy of mine. I don't, I don't mind it at all. And let's not sit here and say, I don't have any, I haven't had any heartaches, right? Yeah. We all have had heartaches and irritations in life. And those, that's part of life. Life is a journey. It's a journey and a book and you got to be the author of your book. 
Yeah. I mean, I know I personally learned more from failures. You're learning. Yeah. I think that's that growth mindset. What did I do wrong? How could I have improved? Yeah. And then I move on. I take that with me. Exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about you're the owner of Truth Speaks Group. I want to hear about that. So you coach women on work-life harmony and integration. I know you said you didn't like work-life balance. So can you tell us about Truth Speaks Group and what women are taught during these sessions. Yes, the title is Truth Speaks Group, LLC. And what we do is we create solutions for the nine-to-five working woman to have work-life integration and harmony. Why I chose work-life integration and harmony is because 99, I say 99, 99% of my clients, I've walked in their shoes. Whether it's been a man, woman, or both. I've walked in their shoes or I'm walking in their shoes so I can relate to them. You know, I have a coaching philosophy, S-E-U-Q, so strategic. I'm very strategic with the questions I ask you. Empathy, which is the E, I'm walking in your shoes. Unscripted, I don't have a script in front of me. I'm feeding off of what you're saying. I've been trained to listen to what you're saying and what you're not saying. And of course, the cue was questioning. So I take that philosophy and I apply that to each one of my clients and every client is different. So with me, I offer three coaching packages throughout on the, out on the website. But also with that coaching, then there's some companies who want consulting. So I also offer IO Consulting, which is an industrial organizational psychology consulting. And that is basically the study of workplace behavior or human workplace behavior. And I'm currently in school with my PhD in IO Psychology, which is how I founded my nonprofit, IO for Teens, which we're teaching teenagers those skill sets because everyone needs those skill sets. Also with my coaching, I offer training. So I have a, it's a list of training classes out there. I can speak a lot of my leadership, assertiveness, a lot of that. I can do all types of training courses. I've done plenty of those. I've done a lot of workshops, webinars, seminars, stuff like that. So what the women are learning is they're learning how to really move forward and love on themselves because they don't realize how much they don't do that. And the reason I say I call myself a work-life harmonizer is because, like I said, there's no such thing as balance, right? You're never going to be perfect. So you got to learn to harmonize. I hate when I hear people say, oh, you're at work, leave that at home. Well, Marla, the same person that lost Scrappy last night, I had to lay my dog down, Scrappy, is the same Marla's going to come to work. Yeah. It can't, so, something like that, you can't really check at the door. Yeah. Even when we have bereavement, which I don't understand bereavement days, but because why is a company telling me how long I can grieve, right? So, but I get it. We can't, you can't take 18 months off because someone passed away. I understand that, right? So, but we have, we give them five days bereavement. Okay, example, we'll give them five days for a mother, father, sister, daughter, child, right? But then we'll give them two days for grandmama because grandmama wasn't as important as mom and dad. Who, why are we making that decision? I don't understand companies. But with that being said, though, they come back to work just because they're back to work. They're still grieving, right? So you got to think about these things in terms of the person and what are they really dealing with and how can they move forward? And I just don't like that separation. So I say you have to integrate work and life because guess what? It is your life. Work is a part of your life. It's not separate. It is a part of what you do. Being a parent is a part of what you do. And one thing I start off in my coaching sessions is remember, you're not a woman or male or they or whatever you identify as. You're a human being first. That's what you are first. You're a human being. Let's start there. Then we can talk about being a spouse, parent, mother, all those roles come later. You got to first realize you're a human being. And I try to remember that every time I'm dealing with workers or dealing with people in the workplace, because so many times leaders, this is what I try to teach leaders all the time, 
Leaders don't realize they're dealing with human beings. <laughs> they think they're numbers, the machines, and they're going to spit out this widget every 15 minutes because I told them to, even though they just came back from burying their grandmother. But they, they had two days off, so they should be good. They should be good to go now. So let's get back to work. <laughs> and that's not how you harmonize your life. Leadership plays a huge part in that. And, a, and in being able to harmonize your life, you got to say, okay, it's about boundaries. Really, that's what harmonization is. It's about boundaries. Where can you say no? Where can you block? And I always tell folks on their phones, where are you on your calendar? Where are you at? Where are you on the calendar? A lot of folks don't schedule time for themselves on the calendar. It's the kids, it's the spouse, it's the family, it's the, it's work. It's all the stuff on your outlook. Well, okay, you are legally allowed to take a 15, two 15-minute breaks a day. And you're legally allowed to take at least a, a minimum 30-minute lunch a day. But how many of us do that? Right? Not many. Not many. But you're legally allowed to do that. And you cannot be yelled at or reprimanded for doing that. But again, we feel we owe the workplace something, which we don't, right? Because we're literally exchanging hours for dollars, hours for dollars, hours for dollars. And I was talking to another podcaster about this the other day about the quiet quitting, right? Well, that's not new. <laughs> that's been going on a long time. <laughs> they just put a name to it, right? But when you start doing that exchanging hours for dollars and you start realizing that you're replaceable because you are replaceable, then you start saying, okay, wait a minute here. I do have value. Where's my value at? So this is how I can harmonize these things together. I can leave work today at, at five o'clock. Now, every day you may not be able to, but I can leave work today at five o'clock and I can go to my son's baseball game. I don't have to do that report. That report, the building is not going to burn down if I don't do that report, right? So that's an example of harmonizing your life. You know what? I do have an appointment to get my nails done today at 6.30. I'm not going to call her and reschedule. I'm going to my appointment today at 6.30. That's harmonizing your life. It's putting you on your calendar. Yeah, I love that. I feel like something you said a little bit ago that I want to call out because I think one of a really key component here is you mentioned the IO for teens, right? And instilling this in people at a very young age, because I hear time and time again when as I meet professionals, it's talking about their first job after college, the kind of like toxic bad behavior that they just, you know, kind of stayed quiet because it's their first job. They didn't know what to do. They don't know how to set those boundaries. They don't know how to harmonize their life. And they don't want to make a wave. They don't want to get fired. They want to build their career. So I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about this IO for teens, because I think that's such a critical component in because you're preparing them for the world of work, you know, building their confidence, building skills, helping set boundaries. I wonder if you could just tell us about that program and just, you know, how it's going, what teens are learning. Yes. Oh my gosh. So, so I like to tell the story. I love telling the story. So one day I'm driving down the road <laughs> and I said, how will teenagers learn the concept of IO psychology? So I went home and I Googled it. I Googled teenagers in IO psychology. I literally put it in the search bar. Only thing that came up was college programs. Well, I said, teenagers aren't in college, right? So I said, okay, voila, I got to create it, right? That's what entrepreneurs do. So we have four objectives. Our first objective is to create a curriculum for 8th through 12th grade. I said 8th grade because that's that time frame. They're getting out of the middle school. They're heading into high school. So it's time to get serious about life a little bit, right? So I said 8th through 12th grade, I want to, we want to create a curriculum based off of these principles. 
Right now we have 11th and 12th grade built out because as you know, it takes time to build out curriculum. We just started back in August of 2022. And I mean, we are rolling. It's crazy. Right now we have a a contract with a local organization here in Jacksonville, Teen Leaders of America. We're teaching their summer program. Then we're going to be going into the schools through Teen Leaders of America, teaching in two schools over this upcoming school year, 23 and 24. So super excited about that. The next objective is we're a small group, right? So we can't teach this all the time. So we need to create some type of teacher certification or facilitation certification where the people can go out and be a certified IO for teens facilitator. So we got to work on that. That's on the docket for 2024. Then we have two funds. We have our scholarship fund and our community fund. Scholarship fund is, is just that for those who want to go to a school, get some type of scholarship and community fund are, cause we're not here. We're not here to force kids to go to school. That's not where we're not here to make you go to college. That's not what we're here to do. We're here to hear what you want, right. And how to help you get there. Cause regardless of whatever you want to do, you still have to work with people. That's the whole concept. <laughs> you still have to work with people, whether you go to college or not. So an example of something we did with the community fund was we had a young lady we were able to adopt, quote unquote, adopt last December for Christmas. And we were able to raise enough money to buy her an iPad because she wants to do some type of digital work, drawing and artwork. So that's where the community fund will come into place. With the actual curriculum, so the curriculum is broken down to five classifications. Those are chasing your dream, discover your dream, living up to your potential, don't get caught up in different places, different faces. And within those five, you could, we have a bro- breakdown for each. So basically we can go teach the whole thing, the whole shabam, or we can teach them in those classification blocks. So right now it's, we're moving along. We, like I said, we just started working it out, getting everything done. And so far, the kids are loving it. We teach every Wednesday. Oh my God, the kids are, I think they're loving it so much, Amanda, because we're asking them what they want. In school, they're not asked that question. In school, they're told they got to learn science, biology, astronomy, whatever, right? We're asking them to, again, using that coaching, (laughs) we're asking them to think about the future, think about their careers, Think about what it takes or what they need to do to get to where they need to go. Entry points. What entry points does it take to get to this career? What do you have to do? Who do you have to talk to? These are skills they need to have now, not when they graduate college. It's too late. Well, it's not too late, but they need them now. They need them now. I love that program of like sitting down and talking to teens and saying, well, I mean, the whole program is fantastic because you're right. I mean, we found this huge gap of when they're young, you know, right at that perfect age, you know, you're eighth grade, you're a kid, but you're not so little, you're not going to start to like really find passion in this. And like you said, if it's blue collar, white collar, if you're working on a fishing vessel, if you want to go to the Navy, whatever you want to do, these skills seem really transferable. Like again, taking care of yourself, setting boundaries, all of that. That's awesome. I'm going to move us into our next segment, getting tactical. I'm trying to figure out tactics. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't have to worry about tactics too much. Here I am in charge and trying to say, why did you sleep through tactics? Tactics. Tactics. I want to talk about culture and leadership. So let's just, I mean, we're kind of taking a different direction on this, but I want to talk about because you're very in tune to what's happening in the workplace. Just looking at where we're at post-pandemic and all this stuff has happened like in the past few years. What are we doing wrong when it comes to establishing a good culture of work? Because I think that really feeds into that whole like harmonizing your work-life harmony. So what are we doing wrong when it comes to establishing a good culture of work? Oh my gosh. So I know we don't have a lot of time here, Amanda. So I could talk about this all day long. So culture starts with leadership, right? It starts at the top. 
right? So whatever that leader, that CEO, COO, whomever, CFO, whomever, whatever they are doing, it's going to trickle down. It's going to trick. That's where it starts at, right? So I don't like when I hear, well, we're trying to make sure they fit into our culture. Well, let's look at the root word of culture, cult, right? So, I mean, it is. I mean, I didn't Yeah, know. no, you're not wrong. I just had never thought about it that way. Yeah. What you're trying to do is you're trying to get people to understand your way of doing something, right? So when people come in and shake that up, sometimes there's a problem with that. But a true and good leader will look at that and say, well, maybe we do need to shake it up a little bit. Maybe we do need to change. Maybe these people that we're bringing in, this is a new generation. Maybe we need to think a little bit differently. We didn't work from home all the time. Now we're working from home. We need to adopt that. We need to keep up with the trends and what's going on. So true leaders are going to pay attention to that and they will shift the culture. They will change the culture if need be. But culture is all about folks watching because someone's always watching you. I tell people this all the time. Someone's always watching you. They're always paying attention to you. So those worker bees, those frontline leaders, those frontline supervisors, the even the directors or whomever, they're watching what those leaders are doing. So if you have a leader that's coming to work, chief that's coming to work with their hair back or, you know, suit and tie every day on a Zoom call, then guess what? That's going to, the culture is going to, it's going to feel like I got to do that too. They're going to feel like they have to do it too. But if you have where you're on a culture where they can wear, the CEO gets on a call and he has on a t-shirt and, you know, he has on and some jeans, it's okay because, that's the culture that he's leading. So you have to set that example up front. And either one is fine, right? But you have to think about what is it your company is doing, right? What is the product that your company is selling? What is the problem your company is solving? Whether it's a healthcare, whether it's coaching, whether it's training and development, whatever. And how does what you're doing fit into that realm, right? Instead of you trying to make someone fit into your culture, right? Because all the time, just because you don't have that culture fit, what what is that? I don't know what that culture fit is. If you're looking for someone to come in and change something and make things happen for you, because that's what that's why people hire people is because they have a problem, right? You're there to solve a problem. And if you want them to solve the problem, are you worried about them solving the problem or are you worried about them fitting your culture? Wh- which one is which? Because they might not be able to do both. They can probably solve the problem, but they may want to have their hair locked up. Is it a problem? Is it a problem? Right? Or they may want to have the nose ring right here. Is that a problem? Is that a culture problem? Is that going to rock your culture world? Or are they really good at what they need to do and they can solve the problem? Right? So so leaders need to think differently. I think it's about thinking differently and, and stop looking at the nose rings. I get it. Trust me. Some areas you got to be truly professional and not have this and not have that. I'm not saying a nose ring is not professional, whatever. I want one, right? You know, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying I, I want people, I want leaders to start thinking differently. Start looking at the outside of people and what can they bring to the table? It feels like a part of that comes from like DE and I, right? Like, yeah. so yeah. I'd love to talk to you about that because I feel like it's not a trend, right? I mean, what you're saying is that it has to be super integrated into every piece, this idea of diversity, having all kinds of people at the table, different kinds of opinion, equity, same access, the whole deal. But it, it feels like, you know, I had a big push for a while and it feels like it's really starting to sort of like die off again. Like we've just sort of forgotten the importance of it. And I'm wondering if you could talk about what the holdup is or why you think it's slowing down. 
Oh gosh, another conversation we can talk about. So you just said it. You just hit it dead on the nail there. DEI is not a trend. Diversity, equity, inclusion is not a trend. It's been around for years. You know, when certain things happened, events happened back in 2020 and 2021, those events weren't new. Those type of things have been going on for years. But it sparked, I think people are like, you know what? I'm tired of this BS. And I'm tired of it. So some people said, you know what, I'm going to do something. Some companies went out and hired chief diversity officers. Some companies developed DEI departments, or if they had the DEI department, they put more money into it. They made announcements. They did this and they did that, which is fine, which is good, right? But there has to be action behind it. There has to be value put into it. You mentioned something very key there, Amanda. I think it has fallen off because people don't want to change. People think DEI means color of skin. People think DEI means degree, the amount of smarts you have. DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, is about all of that. Yes, it is about color skin. It is about the degree, but not only those things. Those are just two small aspects of diversity, right? We talked about this in our one of our sessions that we did for the IO for Teens. We do video sessions and it's out there on, the, on our YouTube channel. Go subscribe. So you could have four people or five five people that went to Harvard. And one can be African-American, one can be Latinx, one can be well, Caucasian, and one can be Asian. Okay. You said, well, I'm diverse. Are you? Y'all went to Harvard. Harvard. Y'all do the same thing. So again, someone, a company will say, well, we just hired all four of them. They're diverse. We've checked that off the box. No, y'all went to Harvard. Because if they all went to Harvard, we're going to go ahead and assume that they had a great life growing up and they were good, you know? What about the Caucasian kid that grew up in the trailer park? But he's smart as hell and he was a great football player. What about his perspective? Or what about the African-American that grew up in a middle-class neighborhood and went to a middle-class school and a middle-class college, but is now a tech genius? What about that person? Well, so again, it's all about the perspective and bringing all of that in, the mindset of thinking differently. That's what inclusion is. Inclusion is how can I be at the table and you hear me? We talked about this earlier, right? How can I be at the table and you hear me? I want to be included, right? Here's an example I use for equity. Oh my gosh. So here in Jacksonville, we're split up. We're north side, east side, west side, south side. And one thing I've noticed, and people can agree with me on this, one thing I noticed here on the south side, I noticed a pothole will get filled really quickly. When I go to the north side, a pothole will not, I can go to the north side three times in the year. That same pothole will be there. That's not equity. That's not equity. And diversity, what we just talked about, diversity is a myriad of different things, a myriad of religion, a myriad of color of skin, a myriad of degrees, a myriad of background, right? Just because you have the black person on your team and he's a, and he's a male of, of all females, That doesn't mean you're diverse. That's what you call tokenism. Yeah. Do you think it would help if organizations defined what that, what DE&I meant to them and outline a real strategic plan? Like you're going to create all this programming and do certain things, you're going to do these two things. But what is that actual outcome? Because it feels like you're right. There's a bit of a disconnect. Does it just mean you're going to bring in speakers of, you know, people of color who will then, you know, like help people understand their experience? Like, what does that look like? What is the solution in your mind to help the actual problem that exists change? Yeah. So I think the solution is, it starts with find the people who are skilled in it and who are passionate. The reason I say skilled and passionate is because 
a lot of times we'll throw people into something and say, oh, I'm real passionate about that. I really want to do that. But they have no idea, you know, what's going on, right? So it's kind of like an insult to the folks who are the skilled people. You have, you have skilled DEI professionals out there that you can hire to bring in, right? So, so make sure the person is skilled in that. They understand, they, they've done the study, they've done the research behind it. But then also make sure they're passionate. I think it has to be both. It can't just be one or, one or the other, right? Also, on top of the skill and the passion, make sure that leadership is supporting them. Because if leadership, again, hate to go back to forfeit leadership, but if leadership is not supporting these changes, the leader has to want to see change. Leader has to want to say, you know what? It's all white males at this table. They have to say it out loud. They'll say it. There's all white males that are over 50 at this table. There's all white females that are over 50 at this table. There's all black females over 50 at this table, right? You have to be bold enough, like, like, like our wonderful Brene Brown says, where's your courage? Where's your courage to say, something's not right here. Be able to stand up and say, I'm, you're a leader. I don't like this. Let's shake this up. Let's have a conversation. Don't be afraid to have the conversation. Don't be afraid to have the conversations. And I think that's where it starts. Like you have to, nothing happens outside of a conversation. Nothing happens outside of talking. If you don't have the conversation, and please don't ask Black people or don't ask Asian people or don't ask LGBTQIA+. Don't ask them, what can we, how can we help you? Who said they need help? You have to accept them. They don't have to accept you. They've already accepted you, <laughs> right? They've already accepted. They're working there, right? You have to say, okay, you know what? I can work with them. That person's funny. They're happy. They're a great person. I see their skin color, but I don't, judge them by their skin color, which is, again, one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. But it is sad that we've had to deal with this in 2023. You know, Martin Luther King is probably turning over in his grave because we're still dealing with this mess, right? But I think it starts with leadership, being compassionate about it, getting the right skilled people in there. Don't just make up an initiative and just say, hey, this is a DEI initiative and throw people in there that want to volunteer. Where are the experts? Bring in the experts, hire them if you need to. If you need to bring in a CDO, a chief diversity officer, then daggone it, bring one in and make sure they have the autonomy. I'm studying this in my research, have the autonomy to do so. If you're going to drive them and make them do everything that you want them to do, then what's the purpose? What is the purpose? If you're going to put these numbers out here and say you're going to do this and say you're going to do that, then stand behind it. Stand behind your leaders. Yeah. Stand behind your people. I feel like we've heard that a lot that, you know, yeah. from companies saying diversity, equity, and inclusion yeah. are our top priority over the past couple years, but then, you know, they don't really progress. Right. Like, what does yeah. that mean? I mean, it may be their top priority. I'm not saying that it isn't. I can't speak for every organization in the world, obviously, you know, but I think it's really to me, Amanda, diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI is about putting your mouth where your money is, right? Seriously. You say you want to do it. Let's get down to it. Let's have the ongoing training. Let's understand what really is a microaggression, right? Well, what is that? Because microaggressions are subtle. You can't really get arrested for them. You can't get in trouble for them, you know, but they, ha- they happen every day, all day long. And people get exhausted from that mess. So why, why are we allowing it? Let's have the conversation. Be bold enough and courageous enough to have the conversation. But after you have the conversation, do something <laughs> and continue to do something. It's not a trend. Continue to do something, continue to grow that department, continue to have people speak out, right? 
and learn and develop. Stop saying you're going to throw money at it. No, do something about it. Yeah. And continue to do something. Fundamentally make a change. Yep. Make yeah, it. I got it. Yeah. I almost was going to say, well, it's not rocket science. And then I remembered you have a new book that you're working on. Oh my gosh. Yes. My new book I'm working on is Leadership is Not Rocket Science, 10 Strategies to Be the Best Leader You Can Be. And I actually did the outline for it the other day. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be so juicy. You know, I'm so excited, you know, but leadership is not rocket science. Let me tell you the number one component for leadership, Amanda. Number one component for leadership. I don't care if you want to be a CEO, climb the corporate ladder. The number one component for leadership is people. You have to like them. (laughs) I know it sounds like, you know, rocket science, right? It it sounds like it's something that NASA should be working on, but no, it's, you got to like people. You don't have to be bubbly like me. You don't have to, you don't have to, you know, it's okay. But you got to like people. Yeah. You're going to lead them. Because you're not a leader unless someone's following you. And so if no one's following you, if no one's listening to you, who are you leading? And I talked about this the other day on the podcast. If I come in in the morning and I'm on my Zoom calls, one thing I used to do with my team, every morning without fail, I emailed them good morning or I sent them a funny meme or a funny little thingy. Just to say good morning, to show them I'm a human being. Now, am I telling them my life story? No. <laughs> We're not saying you have to do that. I mean, come on, there's HR guidelines here. You can't dig in and tell everything going on in your life. Come on, people, use common sense, right? But it doesn't hurt to say good morning. It doesn't hurt to say when they got back from that vacation, how did it go? Tell me about it. Did you guys go camping? What happened? It's okay to ask these questions. How many leaders do not do that? I've interviewed quite a few of them and I've coached some of them. They're like, oh, I've never asked my team how they're doing. Why haven't you asked your team that, right? Leadership is about the people. It is not about you getting your title, which is cute. It's cute to put on your CV and your resume. That's nice. But it means nothing if no one is following you, if no one's listening to you. Leadership, again, is not rocket science. It is not, but we make it so hard. We make it so hard and we make it about numbers. And I get it. I get it. I've been an entrepreneur a long time. I understand businesses need to make money. But guess what? A business can't make money without who? People. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> right? Yeah. They can't make money without the people. So it matters how you treat them. That's why I'm so passionate about workplace behavior. That's why I know psychologists. That's why we study this. Because people behave how they're treated, right? So if you treat them a certain way, they're going to behave a certain way. I gave this example the other day about Amazon. I did some training for Amazon a few years, a couple of years back, like three, four years back. And they have these programs where for the warehouse workers, those who are putting together those boxes that we order every 15 minutes, right? They have these programs where they can go be a IT person. They can go do all types of other type trades. Now you're thinking, why would Amazon pay for employees who work in a warehouse to go learn about IT and all these other things? Well, aren't they afraid that they would leave? Amazon says, you know what? If we can invest in our employees, and give them a, another skill, that only not helps them as Amazon. Number one, those employees might stay, which is which the research has shown that they have stayed. You know, most of them stay. And if they do leave, they leave. But Amazon's like, you know what? It's okay. If they leave, it's okay. At least we sh- we've taught them something. We can't be afraid to invest in our employees. We can't be afraid to help them and develop them. That's what leaders are supposed to do. Now, is it our responsibility to make sure that they do it, do what they have to do. You have to create your own career now. And I tell everyone this, you have to create your own career. You don't wait for your manager or your boss to, to coach you. If you want coaching, ask them, right? 
But as but then that leader has to come back and say, yeah, okay, let's set it up, set up the times on my calendar. Let's get these coaching sessions going. Let's do it. You know, now if the coach, now if the leader says no, then now we have a problem, <laughs> right? But I said I use that Amazon example as a as a key, as how are you leader of organization? How are you investing in your employees? Are you afraid if you invest this, they're going to leave? So what? Yeah. I've always said I want to invest as a in a place as an employee that yeah. would invest in me as an employee. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They're investing already in you. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So why don't you employee, employer, invest in them? And if they leave, they're gonna leave anyway. Most companies are at will companies. I don't know any companies that are not at will, meaning you can up and leave when you want to. Right. So what's the problem? Right. But this the results have been shown is these employees say, you know what? Wow, you know what? I can go be in, I can go get this IT. I can go from the warehouse to IT and still, and guess what? Amazon needs IT workers. So that's what they go do, right? So it's about thinking differently. And I am one of those type, I'm not the traditional leader. (laughs) I do think differently. I put my people first. I think about rules and the guidelines and regulations. I think about all that. However, I also think about it's people that make these rules and guidelines and regulations. So if you have an HR guideline or rule, who made it? Can you change it? And I'm not talking about state laws. We do have to follow state laws with certain things. That's common sense. But if you made the policy of wearing a tie every Zoom meeting, can you change that policy? Yeah, you can. <laughs> it's not rocket science. We make things so much harder than what they have to be. Well, I want to move to our next segment called Rip from the Headlines. You hear the news? So I want, I want to continue talking about this, you know, the way we treat employees, because I think that's super duper important. One of the things we haven't touched on really yet is the notion of returning to work for people who are able to work from home during the pandemic. Now we know that was, you know, mostly like white collar knowledge workers. And, you know, if you work, you know, blue collar, you weren't able to, but I want to focus just on that when you're able to work from home during the pandemic and this notion of returning to work for the sake of our culture. What is your response to that trend? Yeah. So it is hard for some folks. A lot of people, when they quote unquote, return to work, right? You, I think you have to think it's two parts, right? The first part is you got to think about the aspect of returning to work, right? How are we doing this? Are we doing this every day? Are you expecting these folks to come in every single day like they were before? Are we kind of easing them in? That's the second part. I think it's better for people, for leaders to ease these folks in. Because you got to remember, we shook their world up, right, by sending them home. Now they have to work with kids. They got pets. The dogs are looking at them like, wait a minute here. You're you're home? Again? You're home again? home? (laughs) I've seen cats walking across Zoom calls. They're like, why are you here? So we shake it up. We send them home to deal with all this stuff to teach the kids, right? They got to become teachers, right? And then now, oh, come on back in, guys. (laughs) Well, let's pause for a moment. And I suggest asking, what do they want? Is it mandatory that they be in there in the office? Does the job really require that? Now, some jobs do. Obviously, warehouse, I, I get it, right? Some jobs do require that. And I understand some companies have buildings that they're renting space from or that they own. And I get that. I understand that. But how can, so let's think outside the box. How can that building be repurposed? How can that building, can you sell the building and take that money and put it back into your employees, right? And leave and send them equipment to work from home, to work better from home. Send them some ergonomic chairs. If you're renting a place, can the lease be broken? 
Is it worth you spending the waste? You know, you may lose some money if you break the lease, but how is it going to help your employees in the long? Yeah, I think long haul, long time, long in, in the future, right? Oh, well, we'll, you know, us breaking that lease as an organization, you know, we'll lose $100,000 or millions. I don't know. But what are you going to lose in the long run if people quit? Because they got to come back in the office every day and now they got to find daycare and they got to put the dogs up and all this stuff. Yeah. And there's a whole cost to getting, you know, hiring new people. And we all know there's read the reports, right, Amanda? There's thousands of reports out there how much it costs to onboard somebody and bring a new employee on. Right. So I think I'd rather take $200,000, cut on this building that I got to give up and then rehire a whole department. Because people have, companies have lost whole departments because guess what? This generation here, this post COVID folks, I don't have to go. Why am I, I can go work from home and make more money. Why do I got to come in there? Why do I got to work in there? I don't want to do that. So, so now you're, you're going to lose these folks, which is happening. And guess what? You may have a line of people waiting to get in, right? Which is fine. If you do, great. However, they're going to look for the same benefits. They're going to look for the same thing, right? Generation Z, I was talking about this the other day. This is, what, this is why it's so important to keep up with the trends. Generation Z says, look, going over days where you're going to have one job on the resume, Generation Z is going to have 15 jobs in the resumes. You're going to hire me. And guess what? And you're going to give me a stipend for my plants. You're going to help me with my dogs and my cats. And you're going to care about world peace. <laughs> right? And if you don't, I won't work for you. Companies, yeah. how are you keeping up? What yeah. are you doing? Read yeah. reports. It's out there. I'm yeah. not making this stuff up. No, I've seen that too. And it's like, they really care about companies, like how they're actually societal and yeah. environmental Sustainability. Issues. What are you doing? Yeah. And these, and these are brains. These are brains. These are the teenagers we're teaching now in our yeah. curriculum. Yeah. These well, kids, you're teaching them. You're teaching them in that IO for teens. Exactly. These kids are like, mm, I, I wouldn't work for that company. I wouldn't work for that. I mean, some big, they, they don't do X, Y, Z. They don't do this. They don't do that. Okay. So that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Thinking about changing. Do you need to have a culture shift? Do you need to change your culture leader and think about, okay, well, maybe I do need to do this. I need to think about the impact. What is, the, again, the long-term impact, not the current impact, the long-term impact of what we're trying to do? How is this going to change? Keeping up with society, technology, AI, keeping up with all this stuff. What's going on in the world right now? What's going on over, over in Ukraine? Keeping up with these things. That's culture stuff. Caring about the people. That, that's where it starts. It starts there. So I think, again, going back to the question, I think, again, it starts with where are we at, <laughs> right? Where are we at and how can we assess this, this coming back in the office thing? Is it mandatory? Simon Sinek says, why? What is our why for sending these people home? And what is our why for, obviously why, because of COVID-19, but what is our why for having them come back in the office five days a week? And they can do their job just as good at home. Now, I like it where some companies have gotten really smart. Some companies said, we're going to give you the option, guys. We're going to keep our building, give you the option. We just ask that you come in twice a week, right? You pick the days. Okay, give them autonomy. I like that option, right? Give them autonomy. So if they if they come in two days a week, Monday and Wednesday, then let them come in those two days. Or if there's a day that you have a, have a team meeting, okay, guys come in Wednesday morning from 10 to 1, and guys can go home. You know, give them some flexibility. People, adults like to be treated like adults. Yeah, like exactly. Said, yeah, Make, yeah. Makes decisions, especially, you know, what days you come in generally isn't a big deal. It shouldn't be, you know, unless you got like a full staff meeting, but like if it's nothing, if it doesn't matter, Giving them the ability, yeah, to make that decision is super important. Right. But a lot of times these leaders are dictators and they want to dictate when 
you know, you got to come in Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from eight to five. And okay, what again, Simon Sinek, what is the why? <laughs> yeah, it takes you back to that. You have to care about people. So let's move into our last segment, asking for a friend. Who's asking for a friend? Hey, asking for a friend. I like to ask those people who like you have like great ideas, like big ideas, lots to say. If you had every, let's say every HR leader listening to this podcast, like everyone in every company and across the country, what would you say to them to get them to improve the employee experience at their organization? Oh my gosh. Lead by example. Lead by example. You have to first know the craft. I, I am I'm not a fan of someone leading an organization that doesn't know anything about the organization. If you're going to lead a department, respect the employees and know a little bit about the department. If you're an HR leader, you should know a little bit about HR, right? If you are a legal leader, you should know a little bit about legal. I'm not saying be a legal expert. I'm not saying be an HR, but you, know, you should respect the employees enough to know something about the work that they do. And if you don't spend time with each employee, I've read plenty of books, plenty of books. I think it was Jack Welch spent time with every single employee. He didn't care. That's how long, if it took him years, he met with every employee. I'm not saying for you to um, do that, but it would be nice to do so. Yeah. Right? Take time to get to know your employees. They have ideas, right? They're not running little work, worker bots, right? Little machines. They have ideas. They are the ones that know the stuff. I understand being in the chief position, there's different aspects of that. I understand. I've worked with all levels of leadership. I understand that, right? But the number one factor, it never changes whether you're a chief or whether you're a frontline manager. The number one factor is who? The people. So how much time, if you want to improve your employee experience, if you want to improve, improve what's best for the employees, ask them. <laughs> Not just a focus group of them. Ask all of them. Don't pick the people you want to be in the focus group and, and go ask them. No. Ask all 1,000 or 2,000 or whatever of your department or however people are in there, whatever. Ask them, what do you want? Now, come on. Now, I get it. They can, if they, well, I want, I want every holiday off. I want unlimited PTO. I want a 15% raise. Okay, we get it. Some people will ask some great, say some crazy things. But those crazy ideas, put them in the back of your mind. Make it a goal. Can you have unlimited PTO? A lot of companies do. Can you have every holiday off? A lot of companies do. Can you give them a 15% raise? Is it really a crazy idea? Is it really? Can you think about it? Can you think outside the box? If you can't give them 15% raise, can you give them 10? Can you give them a bonus structure? What are the pros and cons of the bonus structure? What are the pros and cons of giving them the 10%? Again, ask them. From what I've seen with coaching, I think sometimes leaders think they know what's best for their people without asking the people. Yeah, I could, I could say that. And I hate to use this as kind of a metaphor, but sometimes like a parent, they see themselves like the parent child. Yeah. I know what's best for you. You know, did you ask? <laughs> did, you, did you ask? Because they're adults. Again, we forget that these people are adults, right? And that's the one piece of advice I can have you walk away with, please, is engage. Talk to your people. Don't be so up here, uh, up here, right? And you can't talk. You can only talk to your direct reports, but you can't talk to everyone else. What type of example are you setting? Well, that leads to the quiet quitting. The, the chief doesn't care, so why should I care? 
well, that the employee has a point. Do you care? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you care or not. I have no idea. I have no idea. So I think it's, again, and a lot of people may listen to this like, well, Marla, that's foo-foo. That's not how business runs. Okay. Talk to some other companies. Some other companies out here are thriving. Okay. Some other companies are thriving. I've done the research. This is not poof-poof. This is not fluff-fluff. Any organization can run this way. Any organization can put their people first. Any organization, and guess when you put your people first, go look at the profits. Go look at the profits. You worry about money? Business is business. You got to run a business. You're not a business unless you're making money, right? I get that. But the people are the ones going to make you the money. If you can't invest in them and just go to the training course, okay, what can you do? Remember we talk about what we can do versus what we can't yeah. do? What mm-hmm. can you do, right? If you can give them a license to a Coursera, don't give 500 a license. Give all of them a license to Coursera. If you can't send them to the conference, what are you doing? How are you investing in them? If you want them to be loyal, you got to be loyal to them. But companies nowadays are not loyal to their to employees. So therefore, employees have to be loyal to them, especially Generation Z. Get, your, get yourselves ready. Gener- they're coming. They're coming. <laughs> I'm telling you, these kids are smart. They yeah. are coming. Yeah. And are you ready? Because guess what? These baby boomers are leaving. My generation, Generation X, we're entrepreneurs. We're leaving too. So you, all you got left is these generation, these millennials and these Generation Zs. What are y'all going to do? If y'all can, if you can't give them money to water their plants, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, it's going to turn everything on its head. Well, Marla, this has been so much fun. I love talking to you. Your energy, your idea, you're just, you're just a fun, interesting, smart, intelligent person. So thank you so much. I, I just really enjoyed our time together as I have the, the times we've met. Before I let you go, remind our listeners where they can find you, maybe their web address or LinkedIn, anything like that. Yes, please. On LinkedIn, I'm Marla J. Alberti. I'm the only one out there. Please follow us on my website, www.truthspeakscoaching.com. If you need a, I do free consultations for coaching, go out there and check me out. I have free packages out there. I'm worth every penny of those packages. <laughs> if you need IO consulting, if you need some type of training and development, check me out, go out to the website. And please, if you are led, please go to our website, www.ioforteens.org and check us out. If you are led to give, please give any donation amount helps. Please follow us on our social media channels, IO for Teens on YouTube, IO for Teens on Instagram. Same thing for myself, T-Speech Group on Instagram. I'm out there. I'm out there. So just please reach out to me. Send me an email, contact at truespeechcoaching.com. I'm more than happy to talk to you. And let's change this world one person at a time. It can happen. It can happen. And I think if anyone can do it, Marla, it is definitely you. <laughs> With help. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. Thank you so much, Amanda. This has been amazing. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler, the leading AI-powered employee experience platform. We are on a mission to transform the work experience for billions of people across the world. Organizations use our products to deliver personalized experiences that inspire and engage their employees. When work is good, life is better. Learn more at simpler.com. That's S-I-M-P-P-L-R dot com. To all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure to hit subscribe, leave a review, and head over to www.simpler.com slash podcast for more information. Until next time, you're listening to The Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler. See you in the next episode.